Hello and welcome to the Weekly Reboot, your regular Friday debrief of things we've heard and seen coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. Hi Lizette, thanks for speaking with us. It's great to chat to you. Super enjoyed your talk this morning. Oh, thanks. It was not great. my best one. Really? Oh my God, no, for sure not, for sure not. I came down and I was like, oh no, no. I couldn't remember words and then I had all these things I wanted. I rambled, I don't like to ramble. So yeah, there's all these, of course, when you get off the stage, you're always like, oh God, oh God, oh God. I but thought sometimes it was, it was like, Oh, yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah. I think as well, um, you've got that interesting accent, which means that you just have that. To Australians, it just seems a little bit more legitimate. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this has that ring of, um, of legitimacy, I think. I don't know what that is. So I've got a whole bunch of questions, and some of them I wrote down while you, uh, while you were talking. You host a podcast. Yeah, I do. And I've been listening to it. It's pretty good. I want to, uh, first of all, just tell us a little bit about that. So the podcast, uh, I interview people and companies who are working remotely just to gather their best practices and tips and what are they struggling with and how do they solve their problems. That's what I'm most interested in. And um, it's mostly about teams who are successfully doing it because there's so many failure stories already. I thought I'd focus on like, how are they rocking it? Yeah. So that was, uh, that's the purpose of the podcast. And then you know, at this point, there's 225 episodes or more, so, or one or two more now. And I keep thinking, like, how many interviews do people want to listen to? But the numbers keep going up. So I thought as long as the numbers keep going up, I'll keep interviewing people. Plus, it's a great way to meet people yeah. and have a conversation, as you know. <laughs> totally so, agree. yeah, I really love it. Yeah. I really love it. Um, and that probably just reflects that there's so much interest in working remotely and collaborating remotely. And it's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, and people are really struggling mm. with it. And I think the, the main thing that people are coming there for is because they are struggling and they're looking for answers. Like, how are they doing it? Mm. How is Zapier doing it? How is, you know, they want to know, like, okay, what are they using? What are the tools they're using? How do they make it work? Yeah, and it's such a great service that you provide in lots of ways. I mean, you have the book, um, which I'll link to as well, but the, the podcast, which is free, where you can get so much information and tips is really great too. And listening to you talk today was awesome. And you're also running some workshops while you're here in Australia as well. Yeah, a couple of, there's one in Melbourne, there's one in uh, Canberra, and uh, and I'm not sure where else yet. I have to okay, check the I'll schedule. link to them. Yeah, 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 anyway, thanks. <laughs> and I'll publish this, not tomorrow, but the Friday after. Oh, So okay. it'll, it'll be when you're still in Australia? Yeah, I'll be here another week. Yeah, so cool. if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> great. Um, but let's wind it back a little bit. What was your background and what led you towards this speciality really in collaboration and working with remote teams? So uh, I won't go too far back, but uh, the inspiration started when I was in Los Angeles working for an online project management tool. And the guy who built the tool built it because he didn't want to die. And he was frustrated that longevity scientists from all over the world weren't talking and solving the problem of aging, as mm -hmm. he called it. So he was really looking for uh, to help longevity scientists collaborate. And when I heard that, I mean, he asked me to work for his company and if I, I had to, because one, I really respected him, but his vision was very inspiring. And so part of my job at that company was to review all the tools that people were using, all of our competitors to see like, what's our unique uh, selling point? What are other people doing really well? What, what could we be doing better? 
And I kind of became a tool junkie at that point. I started going sort of down the rabbit hole, like, oh, what are these guys doing? What are these guys doing? And that's when the interviewing started. Mm. So I was just really curious about how other people are doing it. And I ended up just getting more and more obsessed until, and when I started doing the interviews, I used the excuse of the book in order to get people to talk to me. I wasn't actually going to write the book. Right. It was really just like, hey, I'm writing a book. You want to be interviewed? And nobody said no. Well, that's a great so technique. It was, yeah, until people started asking about the book. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, no, I've got to write this book. <laughs> so enough people started asking that I, that, that I ended up writing the book. Yeah. So, yeah, but my background is completely, I have a degree in hydrology, if so right. that's totally random. But yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I was really inspired by this vision because of, of the, the sky not wanting to die, and mm. I was really inspired because I kept thinking, what else could we do if we just got the right people working together? Mm. Like if location's no longer an option, I mean, we could solve climate change, we could cure cancer, what, you know, what else could we do? Mm. So uh, that, that's really what, what got it going in the beginning. Yeah, so much of that possibility is unlocked, isn't it, by, you know, it's a, it's a boundaryless problem-solving pool of people then. Right, right, because the ex experts that you need are never in the same room, mm. or very rarely. Yep, yep, yep. You know, so it's like, okay, how do you get these people together then? Mm. Yeah, good one. How did he go with his longevity ex challenge? Uh, not very well. In fact, the, the, uh, the company had a tragic end. They had a really bad investor who had a Ponzi scheme and ended up getting caught. I mean, it was, you know, like he flew a private jet to oh, escape dude. the FBI. I mean, it was really like a movie. So in the end, which is tragic because it was still to this day, almost 15 years later, it is still the best online collaboration tool I've ever seen. Yeah, right. It was really the best. And the fact that mm. it went out of business overnight is just super tragic. Mm. So that means you've had a bit of a future peak of you know, what features that you might put inside a really great collaboration tool. For sure. Well, one of the things that I found interesting is this tool in the past, it was called QTask mm -hmm. in, the, in the past, and QTask had everything. It had forums and calendars and files and everything all in one place. So nobody needed email, nobody needed anything external. It was sort of an all-in-one tool. Where the market went mm -hmm. was separate tools. There was an app, there's now an app for everything. Mm. And in a way I understand it because when you have one tool, it limits your ability to change your workflow and you know everybody has their own way of working. So the one tool fits all. Yeah, it, it was good for certain kinds of teams, but it didn't apply to the broader market. Whereas where there's an app for everything, mm. you, you have a lot more ways to wiggle around. The downside of that, of course, is that there's an app for everything. Correct. And you're all of a sudden, you know, I, when I look at my LastPass account, I've got like a hundred apps that I'm yes. a member of, and uh, it's and a bit out of control. To you too, yeah. yeah, as a sort of global global nomad and a citizen of lots of different places, do you notice the collaboration challenges being different for different countries? No, that's actually really interesting. Is that it's the same everywhere? Yeah. I mean, the ways of working uh, are maybe a little bit different, but even that, I don't see it. Like if I'm here versus Vietnam. I don't see, it's just people working together. Mm. And so that's one of the things as I travel the world, yes, there's different foods and different cultures, but still the professional culture of the way people work is so similar everywhere I go. Mm. And the challenges are also very similar everywhere you go. Mm. So no, I don't see a major difference, yeah. which surprised me. Yeah, right. Yeah. It really surprised me. I have to admit myself, like, so I've worked in a couple of companies that do quite a lot of remote working, um, REA Group, they have um, developer centre 
that they use in Shan in China. So they have this concept of the video always on for those teams and they mute and they walk up and sort of tap the glass when they want to communicate. And they've been doing that for a number of years. And Invato was another one that we briefly spoke about. They have a work from anywhere policy within um, reason, if you agree with your team. And so I felt I had nailed remote working in some, in some ways, but I still find myself sometimes becoming disheartened with the experience when working remotely and, you know, just being frustrated, I suppose. Which part? <laughs> what is it? I think, you know, us agile coaches, we like to wave our hands a lot and pick up Sharpies and post-its and things like that. Yeah. And I still feel that the experience isn't there yet. And you talked about tools today. And if you're the sort of person who's used to having some kind of physical presence, um, it's hard to then just be reduced to a face on a screen. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you don't get all the gestures, the, yeah. the physical touch of things. Mm. Um, I noticed like you have your notebook with mm. the things written down by hand. I've also tried a number of virtual to-do lists, mm. which would be very handy, but I came back down to a book where I write down my to-dos every day by hand, by paper. So I can understand the frustration. The tooling, it's way better than it has been in the past, way better. Um, but it's still, there's nothing like physically being together. There's mm. nothing like the physical paper of, of, so yeah, there's nothing that can replace it. Mm. But if you have to replace it, there's at least really good options now. Yeah. And yeah, you are reduced to this window, but I feel that there's so much more creativity that we can do within that small window that's around us. Yeah. That, um, for instance, I work with a, a, or a, a coworker of mine is a online academic life coach. And she has these physical whiteboards that she holds up to the camera and then writes oh. on them as she's teaching her students. And that's not something I see very often. Everybody's trying to do everything virtually. And I yeah. think, ah, oh, no, bring in some of the physical, tangible things to this video space. Yeah, right. And, uh, and really, there's, so, there's lots of ways to get creative there that yeah. I think we're not getting creative in. Yeah, and I got the sense from your talk, I really enjoyed your um, talking about fun. Our strapline for our company is we transform work environments so people love their jobs. So we believe that you know people want to come to work and enjoy what they're doing. Um, how important is fun when remotely collaborating? You know, it depends on the team and it depends on the people on the team. I've interviewed one team way back, like I think it's episode number eight or something. And this team, they've never spoken to each other they've never seen each other um, they operate entirely through a ticketing system and they get paid as they finish the task and if they don't finish the task they don't get paid so basically they just have this huge pool of tasks people take on as much or as little work as they want and they never speak physically no meetings no nothing i mean they, they don't even really some people don't know each other's names they just know their github addresses or wow. their their so that can also work. There is a certain yeah. group, obviously, of people who are really enjoying that work. Yeah. For somebody like me, fun is critical. Like I have to enjoy what I'm doing and I have to enjoy the people that I'm working with in order to really fully get into the job. Mm -hmm. And of course, I've had jobs that I don't like and I've had work that I, even now in my own company, I mean, I hate doing the finances and the invoices and man, if I could just pay somebody to do all that for me, I would. Um, so there's aspects that also aren't fun, but if the fun doesn't exist at all in the company, then I just can't, I just can't work there. I feel like uh, I'm not in the minority. 
in this one. I feel like this company that I just spoke about with the ticketing mm. system, that's more yeah. the minority. Yeah. Most people want to bring themselves to work and they mm. want to bond and connect with other people. And fun for that, yeah. I mean, we're not talking about playing ping pong all day or games. Or, no. It's not necessarily that. It's just yeah. more like the enjoyment aspect of it. Mm. And not forgetting that we're human and mm. that we want to know about each mm. other. Like you want to know who's on the other end of the line. How many kids and what do you do for fun and what yeah. are your hobbies? and. Yeah, all those sort of incidental conversations that help build up trust that you might miss if you're not with them physically. Yeah. And that's why I loved your icebreakers. And I think what struck me about the remote, the remote icebreaker idea is that they can be very small, very time efficient things to do to create that same breaking of the ice that, you know, maybe if we were physically present, we'd be throwing around balls and, and doing lots of more involved things. But you can do really small, small, simple things, can't you? Well, yeah, and also um, people forget it's not just about answering questions. So like one of my favorite questions, when I first started a workshop, I always ask, what's the story of your name? Mm. Because in somebody's name, you get a sense of their family history, where they're from, uh, you know, just you get a lot from mm. that. And you get a story about their name, so then that helps me remember it. But there's also physical icebreakers you can do. So in one of the breaks, I, and during my workshop, we always take a five, ten minute break in the middle. And when, I come, when people come back from it, I always ask, show us how you're feeling right now after the break. So people will need to actually get up and do hand gestures yes. or, you know, making sunshines or, you know, waving their hands or maybe rubbing their eyes to say that they're tired. So uh, don't, I would say to people, don't forget the physical aspect of mm. embodiment during meetings like that. So it's yeah. not just questions. Yeah, love it. Again, creativity within this little window yeah. within the video frame. Yeah, I feel like you've, th you've thought about it all and you've kind of gone right to the boundaries of, of thinking about it. Or you're constantly learning more and more stories. I'm constantly learning more and more. People yeah. are doing amazing things out there. And every time I do, every time I do an interview, I learn something new, really. Yeah. I mean, there's never one interview where I think like, oh that was boring yeah, you know some right. people are more interesting than others of course but I'm always come out of it like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah I forgot about that or yeah yeah I also find listening back to it later I could pick up stuff too totally you just miss stuff when you're interviewing right yeah yeah, yeah. the focus is different like yeah. what am I going to say next given that you asked that if you could magically invent I mean you told us about a lot of tools and man I was writing them down real fast and you also said for every one of these there's 10 competitors I think that's great news, right? It means that there's a market for them and they're evolving. For sure. But if you could magically invent any tool, gadget or gizmo that um, would facilitate great remote working, what would it be? Oh my God, that is a great question. For me, it would be, and it, okay, this tool, it already sort of exists. For me, it would be virtual reality where you could feel each other. Mm -hmm. So it's virtual reality, but you feel the touching. And they do have this now. They are starting to, uh, there's, there's robot hands or things you can squeeze where the other person feels the squeeze. Yeah. So it is starting to, to do that now. But the visceral aspect of being with people uh, is missing mm. with, with virtual reality. And I feel like a little bit more of the sensation would be good. So that's yeah. what I'd build. Okay, cool. Smells, touch. Yeah. I like the idea of the hologram though, the, the one that when you showed Tupac and Snoop rapping on stage at Coachella. Um, I, I love the idea of being able to appear like, but we, we do stand-ups, so if we can do stand-ups that feel like we're standing up at a wall, I yeah. think for agile people that would be like the nirvana. If we could feel like we're moving things on a physical wall. Yeah. 
or just to hug somebody. <laughs> you know, my friends back in the U.S., my friend Abe, like, oh, I miss, yeah. like, you know, the, the hug from a good friend. Mm. Like, that would be amazing to be able to do that virtually. For sure. Mm. Oh, I thought the size of the faces hack was really, well, just even the idea that um, if your tool isn't showing faces of equal size for the ones in the room, for the people who are remote, ah. I think that's a great idea too, or just a great concept, which I'd never thought of. Like I knew Skype for Business was awful, um, and I knew, you know, Google Hangouts feels better to us, but the, the face size I think is quite interesting yeah yeah one of the th one of the things that I'm really trying to focus on now uh, is creating is really creating presence for mm. remote people because what I hear a lot when I go into companies is um, the remote people get forgotten so we're all sitting in the room together having a meeting and there's somebody on the other end of the line like we you know with the spider phone in the middle but the remote people just get forgotten and often they have really important opinions otherwise they wouldn't have been invited to the meeting to begin with mm -hmm. so the idea of having people human size on the screen and having the infrastructure in place to really bring as much of the person in so that they're not ignored mm. it's just a real focus for me because that's people are really struggling with that oh i'd agree yeah. these hybrid meetings they're just terrible yeah oh i was in one the other day i'm going to share um offline for yeah for me it that is definitely true and it's also for the people who are at the main main hub of the meeting they're almost treat having to do the remote part as an annoyance yeah it's like mosquitoes in the room or yeah, something yeah. like oh these remote people they're like buzzing around and yeah I, I find myself doing that in mm. hybrid meetings and even though I'm you know very empathetic to remote people I also find myself like oh man it's like can't they mm. just join in person like this really sucks having to have them on the other line and the connections not good and they're talking either too soft or too loud it's mm. never really that in the room feeling. Mm. And so I find myself, because I'm struggling with it personally and I hear so many other people, I really am trying to figure out what is the best way to get presence given the current tooling that we have. Yeah, yeah. And what about big room sessions? So much of our kind of agile ways of working now involves kind of bigger and bigger teams working together, which often involves big groups of people. Is there a go-to tool you use or you know, idea? You're talking about like big room planning and... Yeah, I'm not a fan personally, but um, we do see a lot of it. But it could even be like a, a, an alignment session or a town hall for a big group of people. Yeah, I, you know, for that, I find have everybody in the room, mm. bring everybody together mm. in person or have everybody be remote. Mm. Like in a virtual office like Sokoko, you could do big room planning with like a hundred people and just have people in separate rooms coming back together in a main conference hall, going into separate rooms, having, you know, with big room planning, you can go from group to group and sort of listen in. With Sokoko, you can do the same thing. You can move mm. from room to room. Um, and, and there's virtual whiteboards where you can take notes and you can just go into the room and see the whiteboard. So I would say for big room planning, hybrid big room planning, it's, I, don't, I don't know that it's possible at mm. this point because there's so much noise in the room and there's so much interaction mm. and people are talking over each other. A remote person is just lost mm. in that space. It might be possible, but just very ineffective. Yeah, yeah, everything's possible <laughs> on some level, exactly. But yeah. the effectiveness, indeed. I think everybody should be either in person or remote because I don't know of a tool that can help with big room planning yet. Mm. Maybe that's how we'll become millionaires. Yeah, yeah, we're going to invent the, the new big room planning room. <laughs> okay. We'll cut this bell out of the podcast. Um, yeah, so I also wanted to say thanks because you reminded me that it, it's not about the tool, it's about the behaviours and it's about the people. 
And I realised that even for our small company, we're most of the time we're remote from each other um, and we communicate on Slack. But I just thought, oh, wow, I've really missed a trick and I should be upping my Slack game a little bit and communicate a bit like um, the army, uh, what's her name? Bered. Bered said, communicate like you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, communicating really clearly. Yeah. And, uh yeah. Talking about intention. But yeah, it was a good reminder to me to not just think, just because I'm busy and I'm assuming they're busy, it's still important to keep the conversation going, talk together, interact. Yeah, what I, uh, what I call it in the book is I call it working out loud. Mm. So making your work observable to others, not in a spammy way, like, okay, I'm working on this now, but it's more just letting people know what you're working on. And there's a variety of tools for that. I mean, yeah. there's you know a, a Slack group that you could just post like, okay, right now, or your, uh, your status, your instant messaging status could just show what you're working on, yeah, or cool. yeah, daily to-do lists, or stand-up meetings is another way of working out loud. Yeah. But yeah, really making your work observable yeah. so that everybody knows what each other's doing without having to explicitly ask. Yeah, we used to do that at the start of the week and we sort of dropped, like we used to say, this week I'm just a little broadcast about what we're kind of doing this week. But sometimes I feel a bit, um, I like to rebel against process. Isn't that awful to admit that? But um, sometimes I feel like if there's a rule I have to follow, as soon as the rule comes in, I don't want to follow that rule anymore. What I, what I struggle with is uh, people that don't check in, like if the team establishes a rule or, or something that we want to try, yeah. but then we don't follow it up and debrief or talk about yes. like what, how did the experiment work and yes. what are we doing? And for me, if there's no accountability at the end of it, I just lose motivation because mm. I think of all these things as a series of small experiments yep. and I want to understand where the experiment succeeded and where it failed and why. Mm. So if we just do these experiments without any check-in, then mm. it just sort of drives me crazy. Yeah. Because I think, why are we doing this at all? Yeah, why bother? Yeah, yeah why bother if exactly. we're not going to learn from it? Yeah, that's a good point. Tell me about virtual dance parties. Oh, hi. <laughs> One of my colleagues, Jennifer, uh, came up with this idea. She's really extroverted, and she just thought we were having these really long meetings. And we take a break in the middle of the meetings, but a lot of people during these breaks, they'll still read their emails or their Twitter yeah. feeds or something. So they're still sitting in front of the screen. And Jen was really frustrated by this and thought, you know, I need to move more and I bet other people need to move more. And then she's just a creative person. And so she came up with the idea of dance parties. And now we do it as a way of taking a break. So one person will DJ, the other person just get, <laughs> gets up and boogie, or we'll do it as a way of celebrating. And the other people get up and boogie. And even the people that don't, you know, like I get up and really boogie, you know, there's a, I, I have no shyness there, but there's some people that kind of nod in their seats. That's also okay. Yeah. You know, and you have to close the curtains so that the neighbors aren't like, what is going on in there? She's like dancing in front of her computer. So yeah, it was just a simple, um, it was a simple experiment to see, could we do more physical movement during our breaks and come mm. back to the meeting more refreshed? Mm. I think that's a great idea, especially I imagine if, you know, the teams are consistently remote, there's a lot more sitting down in front of screen time anyway. Yeah. And so you might feel like you're a bit pinned to your desk sometimes. So forcing yourself to move around is... Oh, for sure. And I got this actually from interviewing NASA because they mm. have these like eight hour multi-day meetings, you know, all day, every day for several days. And they just said for every 50 minutes of meetings, they take a 10 minute break. And I was like, that is a really good idea. And they said, yeah, of course. I mean, if, you, if you're on screen all day, they call mm. it virtual fatigue. Yeah, right. And what's interesting is we tend not to get virtual fatigue from doing stuff online, from writing stuff. Like I could be writing in a Word document for ages. Mm. But as soon as I focused mm. on in a meeting somehow, and if I stay too focused too long, then I do feel 
a lot more fatigued than if I'm actually doing work. It's like you're, it's, it's, you're uh, initiating a different part of your brain or yeah. you're using a different part of the brain. Yeah, for sure, probably because you're listening and processing and... Yeah, and like at staring the at this. Oh, I yeah. guess so you're staring at the screen, writing in a in a Word doc or a yeah, Google doc. Something also. different. Something different with the interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah there's mm. a there's a focus on listening. That listening focus. Mm. Yeah, I find also if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm a huge fan of podcasts, yeah. of course. But when I'm listening to stuff, I can't just be sitting around. I have to be moving and doing something while I'm listening to the podcast, or I can't keep focus very well. So there's something that's interconnected there. Yes. And if we're, if we're tied to our desk during meetings, then it can be tough. Yeah. I have a standing desk now, so at least I can sit and stand and move around, and then a wireless headset so that I'm not actually tethered to the laptop. Mm. I can walk around a bit if I yeah. need to. Yeah, that's a great idea. One of the initial barriers that you might encounter from a company is, is not being able to give the trust to people to work remotely or they feel like if they give them the trust they won't work as much. But you said actually the opposite was true Yeah. and people work more um, and more prone to burnout. Do you, is there a study that proves that or is that just your experience from talking to a lot of these companies? Uh, there are some studies out there that prove it. I don't have them off the top of my head, but they are in the book. So I can, right. uh, but they, they are uh, out there. I mean, there's lazy people everywhere. So if you have somebody who's going to be lazy at home and try to dodge the system, they're also being lazy at the office, I promise you. <laughs> and you're just not catching them. Yep. But everybody kind of knows who they are. People want to work from home usually or from other places for productivity reasons mm. or yeah because they don't want to commute or they want to walk their kids to school in the morning mm. um, and so there's a lot of emotional uh, reasons why people don't want to work at the office mm. and so if you give people that trust they know they can't break it they know they can't screw up because they have a very I mean if you want to walk your daughter to school in the morning you're going to do everything you can to make that work because you have a very emotional attachment to doing something like that mm. so yeah, managers, there is a lot of fear around it, but then if we're measuring productivity based on results and not based on time, then there shouldn't be very much fear around that because if you're delivering results, does it matter if you did it in two hours or eight hours? So I feel like the way we measure productivity is a little bit off when during office-based work because we're really measuring bums and seats for mm. a certain amount of time. As if it's a typing pool or something. Right, right. And also... I mean, for me, I haven't worked in the office for a long time now, but uh, I have different levels of productivity at different times of the day. And if I'm forced mm -hmm. to work nine to five, it really isn't good. I mean, it's just not good because for, for a large majority of that time, that's sort of my low productivity time. Mm. So I do everybody a disservice by trying to force that. Mm. So yeah, I think people are asking to work from home or from other places for productivity reasons primarily. Yeah. And yeah, the laziness thing. I mean, bosses really, burnout, I think, is a much bigger issue. I think yeah. we're seeing that also more and more because we're so connected. Yes. And it's so addictive, all of our devices. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, we're just not able to disconnect. Yeah. And disconnection's so important. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, makes sense. It's hard to put boundaries in place for ourselves. Yes. That's, yeah, uh, that's, um, I interviewed Jay from Invato um, in December and November, and... Uh, he said that there was one day where he just realised his daughter came up and asked him for dinner and he realised that he was in a dark house because <laughs> the, the day had just gone and he was still sitting at his desk. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah, I find myself, you know, it's like I go to bed with my phone and mm. I wake up with my phone and I know I'm not alone in admitting that. Oh, so I'm going to be very, 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 very honest. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and also I put all these boundaries in place like, okay, I'm not going to check my phone after 9 p.m. at night and I'm not going to check emails first thing in the morning. I slip all the time and I have to constantly be like, okay, we're going to try it again. Starting today, we're going to try it again. Yeah. I just keep trying yeah. again because eventually the habit will build mm. that, you know, that I'm doing other things. Mm. And I've tried to take up hobbies that are more hand-based hobbies and mm. not screen-based hobbies yeah. to try to keep that. But I, I think that that boundary is really tough for everybody. Mm. I think we'll be the generation that kind of learns all of that the hard way. And then yeah. maybe the next generation will be better at that. Yeah, let's yeah. hope. Yeah. Over Christmas, I took two weeks off from digital all digital things turned the phone off altogether no laptop because it was over Christmas so and I was with my partner so I knew in emergencies he could right 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 so right, I had right. a backup plan but it was magical yeah yeah like I accessed different levels of thinking and slowness and my I even asked my partner what did you know so actually I've written down a list somewhere um, he said you know I listened more and I really, really listened deeply before I came in with like, you should do this or you should do that, right? Coach by trade. So I'm oh, always yeah, offering yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was really interesting. Yeah. I found I took a 10 day, uh, I, it was a 10 day holiday from tech mm. also. And the first two days, I kept feeling my phone in my pocket and it wasn't there. It was like a. The ghost of the Yeah, phone. it was, you know how they have the. Uh, the, what do they call it, the phantom limbs? Yeah, yeah. I had like phantom phone <laughs> yeah. for days. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh God, you gotta do this more often because yeah, it's yeah. not good. And how did you find it then, a, a break? It was so relaxing. Everybody else, we were on a camping trip in Switzerland and everybody else was constantly looking for electricity because we were at a completely like low, it was a high altitude camping, so there's no electricity, no hot water, mm -hmm. you know, the, no toilets. Everybody was constantly searching for electricity to charge their phones, and I just felt so relaxed, like I didn't need any of it. Yeah, you do notice other, how much other people do it when you're not doing it. It's, yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing a little bit because you're <laughs> sitting there like, okay, we're in the middle of the most beautiful place in Switzerland, and you guys are on your phones checking Facebook. Like, what could be possibly be better than this? So yeah, I got all high and mighty. Yeah, but, uh, I do too, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and two weeks later, I'm back on my phone, addicted as, as I ever was. <laughs> yeah. And what sort, what sort of conferences do you generally speak at? Is it mostly? It's mostly agile yeah. software development and HR conferences okay. at this point. I'm hoping to expand out, um, but this is the community that is adap uh, adapting remote work the fastest and I think the best. The Agile community, I mean, people are focused on continuous improvement and people over processes. And because it's software, they're already tech savvy, so they're mm. already working remotely. And I find that that combination of being tech savvy and constantly seeking for new ways of working and improvements to the current ways, it's like a, it's a magical combination for me. Mm. So I just hope that uh, it spreads to more and more industries. That mm. they, I know people are struggling with it everywhere. Mm. It's just that... Um, I think the main issue, what I'm seeing, is people don't know how much pain they're in. Yeah. We keep hobbling along using this old equipment because it works better than nothing, yes. but we don't know how good it could actually be. Yeah. And so I think that we're sort of in this in-between phase where people are starting to realize like, hey, wait a second, 
Like, we don't have to be using Skype for business. There's so many better tools out there. Or, hey, yeah. wait a second, we should upgrade our conference room so that we can accommodate this. And mm. also in the world where things are changing so fast, I think businesses are also looking at how do we become less vulnerable to these changes on the outside. Mm. And in order to do that, you have to have flexibility. And not just flexibility uh, in terms of uh, people being able to work from where they want, but you want to be able to grow, expand, and shrink your workforce based on the amount of work that there is. Mm. So because, you know, if you hire 100 people, you now have to employ and find work for 100 people all the time. Mm. Whereas if it's a little bit more project-based, that feels a little more natural. Mm. It's tougher for employees because mm. we're constantly hustling to find Yeah, but work, it feels but like it's going that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. the idea of working for one company for 25 or 30 years feels old-fashioned all yeah. of a sudden. Luxurious. Mm. I mean, that sounds luxurious. Mm. But it is starting to feel a little bit old-fashioned. Yeah, true. Mm. And for people who want to get in touch with you or want to hear more about the book, where do they go to hear more? Oh, yeah. I've, uh, collaborationsuperpowers.com. That is... Yeah, the ulti you can find information about me, the book, the workshops, the podcasts, the videos, everything's there, awesome. all in one place. Lisette, thanks so much for your time. Super appreciate it. Oh, thanks for uh, dealing with my jet lag oh, and uh, my loss of words. No, no, you're very <laughs> eloquent. Um, best of luck for the rest of your Australia trip, and I hope thanks. it treats you very well. Thanks. Awesome, thanks. Thanks for joining us again. We value all your feedback. You can send feedback to rebootme at rebootco.com.au or get in touch with me, alex at rebootco.com.au. We read everything and reply to everything. You can subscribe in your podcast app, search for The Weekly Reboot. And we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>